are in part two of a series called Discovering the Supernatural, and I've entitled this message, A Spiritual Symphony. And we started off this series last week with Pastor Lance talking about this idea that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit moves and the Holy Spirit works is that he gives spiritual gifts to Christians. If you are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts. And what I want to talk about this morning is just this idea that just like different musicians who play different instruments come together in an orchestra to play a beautiful symphony, God has designed the church to be a place where we all come together with our different gifts. And when we use those gifts, the result is a beautiful spiritual symphony where we're able to glorify God, enjoy one another, and serve and be served by each other. Now, most spiritual gifts are relatively non-controversial. Like, for example, the Bible talks about spiritual gifts of hospitality or teaching or shepherding or administration. And again, those are pretty non-controversial. Almost any Christian who's thought through spiritual gifts would, would affirm, hey, those are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives and they are operational and active in the church today. But what Pastor Lance talked about last week, and I'm just going to give a real brief summary. If you want to take a deeper dive into this, uh, make sure you check the podcast last week if you weren't here. That there are some spiritual gifts that have provoked a little bit of controversy. We're talking about spiritual gifts like the gift of tongues or the gift of healing or uh, the gifts of di different gifts around prophecy or miracles and those types of things. The more sort of quote-unquote supernatural gifts. I say quote-unquote because they're all supernatural. And when it comes to those types of gifts... That Christians primarily fall into two camps. That there is the cessationist camp, which would say that those gifts were present and active during what, was called, what is called the apostolic age. So when Jesus was around and when his original 12 disciples and apostles were out doing ministry and getting the church started, that's when those gifts existed. That's when there were people who could operate in those gifts. And then at the end of the apostolic age, God called it and said, okay, those gifts are no longer for the church today. And there are many God-loving people who have studied the scriptures, who are seeking to understand this issue, who fall into that camp. So I just want to acknowledge that that is a, that is a camp, that is a, a camp that, where a lot of good God-loving people land. The other camp is the continuationist view. And the continuationist view simply says, well, there's nothing specifically in the Bible that says those gifts stopped with the apostles. So, so we believe those gifts continue to today. And here at Bridgeway, we teach a continuationist view, and Pastor Lance made it very clear last week why that is. We teach that because we believe it is the most biblical. Not trying to insult anybody who has another view, not trying to pick a fight with anybody, but at Bridgeway, we teach this view because we believe the evidence of Scripture supports that best. Now, I want to talk to two different groups of people. Number one, I want to talk to those of you that have been in more what we might call charismatic Christian environments where things got unhealthy. Now, there are plenty of healthy charismatic environments. But maybe, and I talk, I've talked to different ones of you over the years, that there are some of you who have been in those types of environments and you have seen these more supernatural gifts abused. You've seen people manipulated. You've seen people faking it. You've seen leaders who use those gifts to try to gain power or gain a reputation or, or line their own pockets or, or hurt people. And if that's you, I, I want to make sure you know that just from me, your experience is 100% valid. And what happened to you is wrong. I also want to make sure we understand any spiritual gift can be abused. A spiritual gift of teaching that is used to build up one's own reputation, make someone famous, whatever, if that's the core goal of it, that is abuse of a spiritual gift. Any spiritual gift can be abused. And I want, to understand, want you to understand that here at Bridgeway, we are rooted in Scripture and we are following the Holy Spirit. We're not interested in a show. We're not interested in fake emotion. We're not interested in manipulation. We're interested in all that scripture has to say about these gifts. I promise you, you are safe here. And more than that, I believe God can redeem your bad past experience. The second group I want to talk to is those of you who might go, okay, Bridgeway's talking about this more kind of supernatural stuff. Like, okay, I'm open to it. 
but I'm a little bit nervous, all right? If you're open to it, but nervous, I want you to understand kind of how, where, where Pastor Lance and I, kind of how we work together in, in talking about this stuff, okay? So, so those of you that are hearing about this and you're like, heck yes, let's go. I'm ready to call down fire from heaven, miracles, prophecy, healings, tongues, the whole thing. I am here for it. Let's go storm the castle. Where, where are those people? <laughs> Come on, they're usually a little louder. I'm just, I, you know, I just my own experience, right? Okay, if that's you, Pastor Lance is your guy. He's up there leading the charge, and he's storming the castle, okay? Here's where I am. I am 100% on board with all of it, by the way. Theologically, 100%, like, I am, I am with it. There is no, no tension for me in that. Here's where I am. I'm the one in the back with all the nervous people going, all right, we're going to be okay. I know, I know, it's a little different. You haven't seen this before. I pro like, it's biblical. It's okay. It's not going to, okay, it might be a little weird, but it's like God weird, not weird, weird. Like, we're going to be, okay, hey, let's have coffee. We can talk about it. Let's, I'll answer your questions. We can process it. I know it's a little, if that's you, and I'm being silly, but I have a serious point here. If that's you, I'm with you. If you're open but nervous, I'm with you. I understand. I've been where you've been. I've had to process my own stuff with this. And if that's you, I would love to be somebody that you can talk to about that. Seriously, I will make the time for us to get together and talk about it. Because I understand you might be open to it, but you might be nervous. And I'll just be honest with you, like, so if you're afraid of things getting weird, listen, I live my whole life afraid of things getting weird. Okay, I hate it when things get weird. Like, I hate awkward situations. Like, literally, from the time I was a kid, even till now as an adult, like, if I'm overhearing a conversation and, like, things are getting awkward in that conversation, like, it gives me the willies, man. Like, I just can't handle it. I will, like, contort my body in weird ways. Or, like, this is one of my favorite moves right here is just turn and, like, oh, I've got my hand. And I'm plugging my ear so I can't hear it because it's just too much. Like, like, I couldn't really enjoy the show The Office. It was just too much. And don't even get me started on Arrested Development, all right? Just too, too awkward. But listen, I think what Pastor Lance said last week is really important. Sometimes God's stuff gets weird. And it's weird because we haven't seen it before and we haven't understood it. But if God is in it, it is good. If it's human and it's manipulation and it's a show, not interested. Get rid of that. I want that a thousand miles from here. But God's stuff, we want that. So again, I'm serious. If you're open but you're nervous, you've got someone in senior leadership who is one of you and who wants to make sure you're well taken care of. And, and, and all of us share that heart, but just I in particular, that's my own background, that's, that's where I'm at. What we're really after is health. God gives gifts to his kids and when we understand our gifts, when we know our gifts, and when we're using our gifts, everyone is blessed. So more than anything, we want to be a church full of people who know what our gifts are and use them to serve one another for the common good. And as we get ready to turn our attention to the passage, if you've got your bulletin or you're following along on the app, here's what I need you to know as we're talking about spiritual gifts this morning. It's really simple. This is the fill in the blank. Your gifts matter. Your gifts matter. God has given you spiritual gifts. If you're a Christian, you have spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk more about that. Your gifts are for the common good. God has gifted all of us, not for the purpose of us looking good as individuals or looking impressive, but so that everybody might be blessed. And listen, when, when you and I, when we don't use our gifts, the body suffers, like, have you ever woken up from a nap or maybe sleeping overnight and you've like slept on your arm wrong so you wake up and it's all like tingly and you just can't really do anything with it, right? When one part of your body is messed up, the whole body suffers, right? Or if you ever need to be reminded of the importance of your toes, just break one. <laughs> a little part of your body that's not functioning well, the whole body is kind of messed up, right? When we don't use our gifts, the church is limited, and then here's the other thing. I really believe this is true. When you don't, when you don't use your gifts, I think you suffer. I, I think it's bad for you. I'll, I'll, give, I'll explain this as sort of a silly example. So, so I, I attend a lot of Sacramento Kings games, mostly because I like pain. And um, <laughs> often what I will do 
is sometimes I look down from my, from my seats and I look down at the, the bench, the players that aren't playing. And, and every team has, you know, one or two guys who really never get in the game, right? They just, they don't really ever play. And oftentimes those guys would be good teammates, encouraging their team, you know, this and that and the other. But oftentimes I'll look at them during game action and they look kind of bored, right? And what's funny is like 50 feet away from them where like the front row seats are, there are people pay, who've paid like $1,000 to th- sit there and they're having the time of their lives. But the guy on the end of the bench is bored. Why? He wasn't made to spectate, he was made to play. I think sometimes if you find church boring or if you find church not that interesting to you, maybe it's because you're spectating and God built you to play. And you need to find your place to play and then you're gonna come alive. And then you're gonna come alive. And if you don't know what your gifts are, Next weekend, we have our Discover class. Three hours on a Saturday, 15 bucks, we'll feed you lunch. You'll talk about personality types, you'll talk about spiritual gifts, and you'll leave with a clearer sense of how God has wired you to participate in his kingdom. Bridgeway.church forward slash events. I will not be offended if you ignore me for the next couple of minutes and get out your phone and register. It is that beneficial of a time, and it'll be so helpful to you in terms of discovering your gifts. And also, listen, there are pros and cons to every church size, right? But one of the benefits of being a large church is there are so many opportunities to get involved, right? Today, we've got people serving in kids' way classes and making drinks at the cafe and and passing out bulletins, right? On on Wednesday night, my wife and my nine-year-old were here painting set designs for Christmas. On Thursday, we have people in our lobby passing out food from, to folks in the community who need it. There are so many ways to get involved, and on and on I could go. And if you'll, you'll bear with me for one last mini commercial here, I wanna I want encourage you, if you're going, okay, like, yeah, maybe it is time for, for me to get involved. There are lots of places to do it and, and, and all different types of gifts. But I wanna encourage you to consider getting involved in our next-gen ministries, whether that's Kidsway, MSM, or HSM. I have read all sorts of research from organizations like the Fuller Youth Institute and Barna, and the research is incredibly clear. Listen to this. One of the main predictors of whether or not a young person keeps their faith after high school is the presence of non-parental adults who they can talk to about their faith the presence of non-parental adults who can invest in them. One of the best things that you can do to prepare the next generation to be passionate followers of Jesus is just be there for them. So I'd encourage you, Pastor Cliff, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Ashley, all their information's on the website, or or talk to me, I'll get you in touch with them. Man, I'd love for you to consider that. And you might be going, well, okay, yeah, I totally see that that's important, but the problem is, Brian, I'm not cool. And I would say, that is exactly right. You are not cool. Excellent self-awareness. And I'm not trying to be clever here, but this is really true. Young people today, they don't need cool. They need warmth, right? They need cool. They don't need, Pastor Ryan's right there. Am I right? Pastor, I mean, young people don't need cool. They need warmth, right? They need adults who care. They need adults who are willing to be silly with them. They need adults who can just listen to them and be a positive presence. And you might be going, well, what about all their questions? I won't be able to answer all their questions. That is correct, neither can I. (laughs) So you learn the phrase, man, I don't know, I'd love to look into that for you. Or boy, that's that's a challenging thing to navigate. Let's explore that together and good things can happen. So just something to consider if you're looking for a place to serve. Bottom line, we've all got gifts and we're better off when we're all using them. So here we go. Let's get into the text. Verse 12 of of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 959 on the Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul is using this metaphor of the body to describe how the different parts of the local church fit together. And a body has different parts and yet it's still one. And even though it's one body, it has many parts. And we need to be clear about what we're after when we talk about, hey, we're one body together. We are after unity, not uniformity. We are after unity, not Uniformity. The church functions best when it is diverse. 
Does that mean it is messier? Yes, it does. But listen, a polarized and divided world desperately needs a united church, okay? And the church functions best when we can come into this place and we can look around and go, Those people, this person, they don't look like me. They're, they're from a different ethnic background than I am. They're in a different socioeconomic class than I, than I am. They don't vote the way that I do. They're not in my same tax bracket. They don't like the same music that I do. Our gifts are totally different and they are my brother. They are my sister. Why? Because we are filled with the same Holy Spirit and the power of the spirit that unites us is stronger than any worldly thing that would divide us. Amen? That is what the world needs. That is what we need. And when we allow, I've seen it in these last few years, when we allow worldly polarization to divide the church, what are we doing? How are we any different? Remember, we have the same Holy Spirit. And man, we're supposed to make room for difference here. I'll tell you what, I've been, I became a Christian when I was 15. I've been a part of a local church ever since. And I, and I love coming to church. I love being a part of the church. Like, I truly, like if I'm out of town, I want to go to church. Like, I like being in churches. I, I truly do. But one of the things I love about really investing and in being part of a local church is the diversity. I have met the weirdest people. In my time in church, I, I've been the weird person so often. Like, people walk away like, what's that guy's deal? I don't know. But I'm seriously, I'm making a serious point here. Like, I have met people in church that I don't know where we would ever cross paths anywhere else. And my life is richer for it. I'll never forget this. When I was first starting out as a, as a college pastor down in San Diego County. And we had a guy come to one of our events who was a geology major at San Diego State. My interest in geology, zero. Zero. I don't think about geology, not interested. Boy, was this dude passionate about it. We talked for an hour about geology, by far the longest conversation on that subject I've ever had. Did I forget most of it eventually? Sure, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I loved his passion. I loved his enthusiasm. Man, you connect with people in the church. I'm joking about them mostly, about the weird people stuff. But I'm, what I am talking about is, man, we, just such diversity and we get to understand things we never understand. Man, it's a beautiful thing. When we're able to see diverse gifts that like, man, I don't have that gift, but it's amazing. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. There's power that unites us that's greater than the power that divides us. Now, Two things that can hijack unity and create fractures in the body, and there are a lot, but I'm just going to give you two. Number one, when we make our preferences our idols. When we make our preferences deal breakers. Now, there are plenty of examples I could give, but I'm just going to take the low-hanging fruit here. Let's talk about music in church, shall we? And like, I'm not, just because, I'm not responding to anything right now. This is just like, there's always controversy about music in church, all right? Um, guess what? There is no music that everybody likes. So that means we all get to take turns not liking the music. Okay. Sometimes it's my turn. Sometimes it's your turn. I don't really like when it's my turn. But it is what it is. Listen, and I'm not saying we don't need to think carefully about the thongs, songs we sing and certainly the theology behind those songs. I'm not saying we don't need to pay attention to musical styles. What I am saying is this. May we recognize that the mission of God is more important than musical preference. Right? Plenty of other examples I could give. Number two, the other thing that gets in the way of unity is when we project our gifts onto others. Right? We might say, well, I've got this incredible evangelism gift. I'm totally comfortable going up and talking to complete strangers and starting a spiritual conversation with them. That's no problem. And boy, if you love Jesus, you'd do the same thing. And most of the rest of us are going, okay, I, would, I want to wet my pants just thinking about doing that, <laughs> right? Or man, I'm really passionate about cross-cultural missions. I go on four mission trips a year. And man, every Christian should go on four mission trips a year. Cross-cultural missions are important. That's your gift right, to, be, to get into it that much, right? Yes, we're all responsible for sharing our faith, but that's your gift. Let's not project that onto others, okay? Let's learn to understand we're gifted in different ways. And Paul says we're baptized into one body, made to drink of one spirit. And this isn't a reference to literal water baptism, just like we don't literally drink of the spirit, but the point is this. It is the Holy Spirit who unites us. And when we become part of the body of Christ, that unity overcomes these worldly divisions. 
And that word division is so important because we get rid of division, not difference. I mean, he says Jews and Greeks, like Jews are still Jews. Greeks are still Greeks, but they're Christians. I remember when Pastor Parnell was here, he shared this analogy that I really, really liked, that the church isn't meant to be a melting pot where we all just sort of dissolve into this like mush where we're all the same. No, the church is meant to be a stew where we're all different ingredients and we're all different and we complement each other and the result is something beautiful. So we don't need to get rid of difference. What we need to do is get rid of division. Does that get messy sometimes? Heck yeah. But it's the right way to be. It's the right way to be. And when we celebrate our differences, they lose the power to divide us. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So he's extending out this body metaphor. Now this is an interesting point, or at least I think it's interesting. For Paul's original hearers, they would have been very familiar with the use of a body metaphor in talking about a nation state or a city or a large group of people. Uh, thinkers like Plato and Dionysus and Aristotle and Epicurus, we have records of them using this type of metaphor when talking to the people. But here's how it was used in these Greco-Roman contexts. It was used by those who were in power, the elites, to talk to those who were of the second class, of the working class, sort of the, the poor laboring class, to say, hey, listen, all of you, you, all, you are all the feet, you're the legs, and you need to keep working to make sure the stomach gets fed, that's us. So don't rebel, don't stand up for anything, just keep doing what you're doing because you need to feed us the stomach because remember, when the stomach gets fed, everyone benefits. Do you see the manipulation in that, right? Paul completely flips the metaphor on its head. He said, no, 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 we don't use this metaphor to justify division. We use this metaphor to say everybody matters. What everybody has to offer is important. And what he's getting after in this paragraph in particular is he's calling out our tendency toward minimization. In other words, he's calling out the tendency that we might have to say, well, I mean, yeah, I guess I have some gifts, but like, I'm not like them, so I don't know that I really have anything to offer. Listen, what you think about the importance of your gifts is irrelevant to its actual importance. Your gifts matter. Your gifts are crucial. Your gifts are incredibly important, right? Some of us might say, well, you know, I'm just dot, dot, dot. No, there is no just in the kingdom of God, right? I'm just this, I'm just that. No, you are gifted. And God has called you to, serve, to use those gifts, and it's a beautiful thing, right? And it's easy to point to someone else and say, I'm not like them. But that doesn't benefit anybody. Of course you're not like them. You are unduplicatable. You are yourself, right? And Paul is making, he's using this sort of absurd metaphor of talking feet and everything else to make a serious point. In the body of Christ, when the parts of the body do what they're designed to do, it is good for everybody else. That's how the human body works. That's how the church body works. Let me give you another example. So uh, I recently, my wife and I recently uh, watched this movie, maybe you've seen it, called 13 Lives. Have any of you seen this? So it came out like a year or two ago, and it was a movie that was made all about, uh, if you remember hearing about this in the news, in 2018, when a group of young soccer players and their coach got stuck in a cave in Thailand for like two and a half weeks and miraculously they rescued all of them. Oh my gosh. Like, first of all, the movie was unbelievable. I've become a little bit obsessed with it now. I've now listened to a podcast and watched two documentaries. It is just fascinating what, ha what took place to be able to rescue these boys and their coach from, I mean, just certain death. 
right? And it's incredible just to see everything that took place. You had the best divers in the world coming and helping out. You had the government running all sorts of logistics. You had people up on the, ca- up on the mountain above the cave creating these structures to divert water from going into the cave. They diverted 56 million gallons of water. You had people out there cooking food for all of the rescue workers. You had people running the porta potties, making sure people had a place to go to the bathroom. It was this incredible combination of so many people that led to a miraculous rescue. Now, what would have happened if the divers are down there going, man, I'd sure like to see the sun. I'd love to be one of the people diverting the water up on the mountain, that'd be nice. Or what if the people working to divert the water on the mountain are going, man, this is hard. Why can't I just be the guy that makes food? That'd be so much easier, right? Or the guy making the food goes, man, those divers, they get all the credit. I mean, when they make a movie, the diver's going to get played by Colin Farrell. I want to get played by Colin Farrell, (laughs) right? Or what if Porta Potty Guy didn't show up, right? (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) The whole thing doesn't work, right? Why did it work? Those divers are worthless if you don't have people getting rid of the water. Those people can get rid of the water without the divers. That just means the kids die slower. They all work together, and something truly miraculous took place. When we all work together, things happen. All the parts of the body are valuable. Now, I just said all the parts of the body are valuable. There is one exception to this. Do not be an appendix. (laughs) The appendix does nothing, does not contribute, but occasionally will freak out and try to destroy everything. (laughs) Much church drama is caused by appendices. Do not be an appendix. Every other part of the body is valuable. Every part of the body is valuable and no one can do it all. The greatest nose in the world is useless when it comes to hearing. Play your part, don't try to do it all. Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, not someone else. And listen, if we're all the same, and if we all wanna be the same, that doesn't help anybody. Part of what Paul is doing here is he's correcting the fact that the Corinthian church was obsessed with the gift of tongues. Everybody wanted to go, ooh, that's a cool gift, I want that gift. It's a legit gift, but Paul's going, listen, if everyone had that same gift, like, not a whole lot else would get done, right? And understand also, jealousy of each other's gifts doesn't help anybody. I remember when I was a kid, my mom took me to the same place uh, to get my hair cut for, for many years as a kid so I could get my awesome bowl cut. And I'll never forget this comic that the lady who cut my hair had on her mirror. It was two ladies sitting in separate chairs at the hairdresser. One of them had this long, beautiful, straight hair. The other had this beautiful, curly hair. And they both had little thought bubbles going up to the same big thought. And what was that thought? Man, I'd kill for a head of hair like that, right? We can be jealous. The person you're jealous of is jealous of somebody else. Who does that benefit? Nobody. Let's just use our gifts. Let's not devalue the gifts God has placed within us. Because when we recognize our gifts and when we celebrate our diversity and we're united around our common faith, Everybody wins. Many parts, one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So if the last paragraph is talking about, hey, let's not devalue our own gifts, this paragraph is talking about, let's not devalue the gifts of others. Let's not devalue the need for others. It reminds us that God has made us to depend on one another. And listen, the sin that Paul is going after here, it's not pride. It's self-sufficiency. It's self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is toxic. When we think we don't need other people, when we will not allow ourselves to be served by others, that's a problem. And look at verse 22. The key word there is seem, right? Seem, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Or look at verse 23. The key word there is think. There there may be parts of the body that seem weak, 
but they are indispensable, right? There, there's a reason why your internal organs are internal. And many of them are protected by bones and different things to kind of protect them. Why? Because they are very weak. You can survive a punch to the arm. You're going to have a much harder time with a punch to the liver, right? But there's a reason why we call those organs what? Vital organs. They are absolutely necessary for your survival. You can live without an arm. You cannot live without a large intestine, I don't think. Certainly not without a liver, right? And listen, I think the visible gifts in church are, are important. And I'm not devaluing my own gifting, the gifting of others you see on this stage, the gifting of those whose ministry is a little bit more public. I, I think it's important. But understand, I'm very clear on where the power in this church comes from. The, pow the, 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 the most spiritual power in this church comes from God working through people who you do not see on this stage, who you probably don't know their names unless you're friends, and who don't have a lot of people who are paying a whole bunch of attention to them, right? It's the people that pray for this church every single day. It's the people that come into this place during the week and make sure every chair has envelopes and cards and, and pens, and they pray for you while they do it. It's the people that show up week after week for our kids and our teenagers. It's, it's the people that fill all those communion cups. We don't have a machine that does that. <laughs> and that they pray for you while they do it. It's our operations staff who work so hard to make sure the facility is non-distracting and clean and, and ready to go. And the other part of our operations team that makes sure we have the resources we need to continue to do ministry. Make no mistake about it. And some of you, I'm looking around at your faces, you serve in some of those different ways. You are the vital organs of this church. God's power is flowing through you in such incredible ways. You are critical to what God is doing here, and you have my absolute utmost respect. Let's keep going. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In order to understand what Paul is getting at here, we have to look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I'll just sort of summarize for you. At the end of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking to the church about problems that they were having when they would come together for what is called the Lord's Supper. So how that worked in the early church was the church would gather and people would bring food and drinks and they would gather together and have a, a meal and celebrate God's goodness and just celebrate being together. Like, sounds awesome, right? Well, in theory, it is. But here's what was happening. The rich, wealthy, upper-class members of the community who didn't need to work and who were the ones who provided most of the food and most of the drink, they would come early. They would bring all their, their stuff and they would start eating and drinking and then the poorer members of the community who had to work so they couldn't come early and who were just barely eking out a living and who relied on this meal for their physical sustenance would come to the meal and everything was eaten and the people were drunk. In fact, it even says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, 21, one is drunk and another goes hungry. And Paul says that this is absolutely unacceptable. You cannot be doing this. He said, the way that you are treating people, the way you are creating this division, and it is harming people, is wrong. So he says a few verses later, if you eat and drink without discerning the body, you eat and drink judgment upon yourselves. So he's telling the, the rich members of the community, listen, if you're just caring about yourself, if you're doing this eating and drinking without considering the needs of those around you, God is not down with that, all right? you might get a little bit of extra honor out in the world. The, the world might tell you you're higher class or you're on a different level than the poorer members of your community. Understand, within the body of Christ, those divisions do not exist. And we're not talking about being a charity case here. We're talking about honoring the image of God in every human person. We are not to be divided by class. We are not to be divided by any of those ways. We are meant to be united, right? And Paul's saying, don't you understand God put the body together. We need to be united within diversity. 
And then he talks about suffering. Listen, suffering is not meant to happen in isolation. When part of the body suffers, the whole body is meant to feel it. In the same way, we are meant to be in community so that we have people around us to share in our sufferings. And listen, Bridgeway is a large church, so, so here's how that works. This is why I, I talk about this in so many different environments. Finding your people here is so important because at a large church, it's in our missional communities. It's in our teams of people that serve together. That's where that kind of care takes place. That's where we can truly suffer together. And then on the flip side, that's where we can rejoice together as we celebrate God's goodness, as we celebrate each other's gifting. Finding your people is so important. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Please understand when you use your gifts to serve, and if you use, I mean, there's lots of places you can serve God. And if you if you serve God here at Bridgeway, please understand you're not serving an institution; you're serving a body. You're not serving some theoretical institution called Bridgeway. You're serving God, and you're serving each other. We serve people, and we are served by people. I mean, just think about. Just let me give you this example. Think about just coming to church today. Maybe you, you walked on our campus, and you walked in the door, and the lights were on, and the temperature was controlled, thanks to the work of our facilities team. And maybe you're new here, and, and you connected with one of our campus guides who are here to help kind of new folks navigate the building, and they were able to, to greet you and, and say hello. And, and maybe then you decided, man, I'd like a cup of coffee or, or a pastry, and you went over to our cafe, and you're, you're served by our cafe team. And Maybe you've got kids, then you went into Kids Way and you're served by the team that handles check-in at the, at the front and then your, your kids are being served now by the rest of our Kids Way staff who's, who's teaching them and just loving them right now. And then you came in here and, and you got a bulletin from somebody on our greeting team and that bulletin exists because of the work of our communications team and then you, you came in here and, and you were served by the worship team, as they led us in worship, and then you were able to see it and hear it because of the work of our tech team and them serving you. And then even, I don't know if you caught this, did you notice that last song, that last song we sung? Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and bring you peace. Who are we singing that to? Each other. We're not singing that to God. We're, we're serving each other by pronouncing God's blessings over one another. And now I'm up here, hopefully, serving you by, by teaching God's word. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, it'd be really great, Brian, if you could serve us a little shorter. Um, you're, you're doing great. You're, do, you're doing great. And maybe after the service today, you might need prayer. You'll come forward and be served by our prayer team that prays for you. Or maybe you've got a question about something going on at Bridgeway. You can be served by our Connect Center. Or maybe you just need some care today, and you, you can be served by our Care and Compassion team. A lot of people are serving just to make this out. I didn't even talk about people setting up the chairs. There's so many things I, I missed, right? So many people serve just for us to be able to be in this room. And listen, every single team that I just mentioned, none of them do it all. They are all served by each other, right? Everybody plays their part. And as a result, all of us are blessed. All of us are blessed. Please don't make the mistake of thinking you're serving an institution you're serving a body, you're serving people, and you're being served by people. That's, that's how God designed the church to work. I want to just give an example of just kind of from my own life. And serving in ministry can be a little bit funky when you get paid for it, but I honestly, like this is just true, this has been my heart for as long as I've been a pastor. Like I'm constantly looking for ways outside of my job description that I can serve around here because I believe in volunteering in the local church and I want to do that. But also, functionally, that means a lot of my volunteering takes place other places in the community. I've talked before about, you know, coaching my kids' sports teams, which I, which I love to do. Or, or, or I want to give you this example. So this is a, this is a new one for me, is uh, now on, on my day off and then, then one other afternoon, uh, I, I, go on, I go to my son's fourth grade class, and I am the volunteer PE teacher for a group of fourth graders. And what's my motivation for that? The glory. No. <laughs> What's my motivation for that? I love our school, I love our principal, I love the teachers. I believe teachers have a difficult job and I wanna serve them and I think that's important. But I'm not motivated by this desire to like make 12 Bridges Elementary School exalted among the nations, right? <laughs> I'm motivated by the kids. 
I'm motivated because I really believe what I just said about positively investing in young people, and I know it's not a Christian environment, but even then, just the benefit of being a positive adult presence in these kids' lives, that's what motivates me to go, okay, what's a game I can come up with that the non-sports people will like, right? And that's why I spend the time to learn their names. That's why I talk to them. That's why I'm there. I'm not motivated by an institution, because maybe the institution will frustrate me someday. I don't know. But I'm motivated by the kids. So I just want to encourage you as you surf here, Be motivated by the people, right? Because we serve each other, and then we are served by each other. If you think you have nothing to offer, guess what? You're a critical part of the body. If you think you're self-sufficient and you don't need anyone else, guess what? God didn't make you a body. He made you a body part. The most ripped six-pack in the world without the rest of the body is just weird, okay? (laughs) The greatest nose, the greatest eyes, none of it works without everything else. We need each other. And I want to just, I want to camp on this point for just one more minute. Part of understanding spiritual gifts is serving others. Part of understanding spiritual gifts is allowing others to serve you and just receiving their service with joy and gratitude. I remember one time I was in college in LA at the time and a friend of mine and I drove out to Palm Desert and we stayed with my, my grandma because uh, we, were gonna, we were gonna golf in Palm Desert the next day. My friend had a hookup where golf was gonna be free and this was before I quit playing golf because I had enough frustration in my life. But that was the purpose of the trip. And we woke up in the morning, we're having breakfast and all this stuff and we're getting ready to leave and my grandma tries to hand me $40. And I'm like, no, grandma, you've, you've been so kind to us. Like, you've let us stay here. You don't need to give me $40. Like, it's fine. And she insisted, and it, you know, it's this whole thing back and forth. Finally, eventually, I took the $40 and we went on our way. And my friend Ben said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, Brian, did you ever think that maybe the thing she most wants to do with that $40 is give it to you? <laughs> no, I did not. When we allow others who want to serve us to serve us and we just receive it with joyful gratitude, we're blessing them. When we refuse to be served by others, we're depriving other people of the opportunity to use their gifts. Verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So this is another list of spiritual gifts. And Pastor Lance told us last week, there are lots of these in the Bible. None of them are meant to be exhaustive. They're all just examples. And this list is not about hierarchy because that would completely contradict Paul's point that like all of the gifts are important. But in this case of first, second, and third, it is a little bit about order if we're talking about getting things going. So I want to just briefly touch on what these gifts are. So he says... Apostles. Now, there were the original 12 apostles, Jesus' disciples, and then Paul, who had a personal encounter with Jesus and then were empowered to go out and start the church. They were a unique class of apostles, and we don't have apostles in that sense still today. But an apostolic gifting is still very much alive and active and, and crucial that an apostle in the Greco-Roman context simply just means a messenger who has been sent out, right? So a person who might say, I have an apostolic gifting is somebody who, like, for example, most church planters have an apostolic gifting. They say, I want to go out and start a new church. I want to go out and start a new ministry. I want to get things going. Now, where this gets abused is when people claim, oh, I am an apostle, so therefore I have unchecked authority. That is wrong. But an apostolic gifting is beautiful. We need those who are gifted in that way to start churches, to start new things, right? In the secular world, we would call these people entrepreneurs, right? Those who can get out and start new things. And then there are prophets. Take five seconds and think to yourself, what does a prophet do? Just think about that, just what what comes to mind. See, often... We think of prophecy predicting the future, right? That that God would give somebody a direct download and they now have some supernatural insight into future events. Now, I wanna be clear. Some people absolutely have that gift, that God works in that way and we need to test prophecy against scripture and, and all of that. But like, that's a real thing. However, if we limit our understanding of prophecy to that, we miss so much of its richness. See, the main function of a prophet 
according to scripture and according to the way this gift has functioned in the church, is not predicting future events. What a prophet does is they take God's word and they apply it to the needs of the moment. To speak prophetically is to speak God's truth in a manner that meets the needs of the moment. That might be to encourage, that might be to, uh, to comfort, that might be to convict, that might be uh, to challenge. So that is what it means primarily. Again, I'm not saying the other kind is not legit. It is. Some people have that gift. That, that is what it means to be prophetic. And I don't say this to sound any kind of way, but like I've had people tell me in the past, hey, you are, you are prophetic. You have a prophetic gifting. And I think what they mean by that is like, you're totally fine with like making people mad by like saying stuff. <laughs> no, I'm fine with it, but I'm willing to do it when it, when, when it needs to happen. But like true, like, you know, and I leave that for other people to decide if that's truly my gifting. But like that is something that I, I try to do is, okay, what does God's word have to say about this current moment? How can God's truth help us understand the world around us? And I think that is incredibly important. And then there are teachers. If prophets are gifted to apply the word of God to the present moment, teachers are gifted in communicating the core and timeless truths of our faith. They are the ones who can teach the Bible in a way that helps believers understand the core theological and moral teachings that every Christian needs to understand. Teachers are incredibly important. And next he moves on from specific types of people to just the gifts themselves. Uh, we talked about these last week. There are miracles and gifts of healing. Uh, there are some to whom God has given extra effectiveness when it comes to praying for healing. We're all called to pray for healing. But there are some who, to use Pastor Lance's analogy from last week, were allowed to cut in line in the development of that gift. And then there's helps. And this carries the connotation of helping the poor or those who are otherwise unable to meet their own needs. I think about the people that serve in our community closet or various homeless ministries we've had over the years. It's closely connected to the gift of mercy. And then administering, which I don't know what comes to mind when you think of administration, but this Greek word literally is the same word you would use for the pilot of a ship who would steer and navigate a ship through difficult waters. And boy, does the church always and forever need wise, godly administrators who can guide the church through the rough waters of a challenging world, right? And various kinds of tongues. Now, we already said these gifts aren't ranked, but some commentators think that because the Corinthians were so obsessed with tongues, Paul put it last, right? And I know there's some controversy around the gift of tongues, and when we get to chapter 14, we'll see more about what the Bible actually has to say about it. I'll tell you my personal experience. I do not have the gift of tongues. I've never spoken in tongues before. I've prayed with people who pray in tongues. I've heard people pray in tongues, and I actually find it quite beautiful that somebody is, that God has gifted them to connect with them, connect, to, to connect with him in their own special language. I've never, I've, I know it gets used in funky ways. I've never personally seen it. The ways that I've seen it has always been beautiful and edifying. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? What's the answer to that question? No, nobody has all the gifts. All the gifts have their place. When they're used properly, it's good for everything. And look at how Paul closes the chapter. Verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What are the higher gifts? They're not the ones that make you famous. They're not the ones that make people go, ooh, wow, they're impressive, right? For Paul, what he's getting at here, the higher gifts are the gifts that build up the body the most. So the invitation for us is not to be like, oh, well, my gifts are lame, I want the higher gifts. No, that's, that's, that's not the right way to think about it. The invitation for all of us is to say, how can I use my gifts to build up the body the most, right? And listen, for most of you, if, I mean, for many of us, the way that we use our gifts to benefit the body the most, that might impact one person, two person, two, two persons, people, maybe a small group of people, right? You don't have to think, oh, well, to build up the body the most, I need to like, find something that's going to impact everybody. What about 
chaplains who are just on stage, we just commissioned them, right? We got a couple dozen of them at the, at the church, right? One person at a time. They reply to one call at a time. And they sit with folks and they pray with them and they're with them. They do the same thing again and again and again. Over the course of time, what is that? That's transformation. That's people being helped in their time of need and being able to just know God's presence with them. That is transformation. You might have a gift where you serve one person at a time and you're gathering with all the other little toes to do your part and moving the body forward. And it's a beautiful thing. And Paul says, I will show you a still more excellent way. And then the whole next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? This is the chapter that gets read at weddings, much to my chagrin, because it's not about romantic love. If you had this read at your wedding, it's fine. There is forgiveness for you. And I'm teasing, but the point is, it's not about romantic love. It's about love within the body of Christ. And Paul's whole point is that when we are motivated by sincere love for each other, not the glorification of ourselves, when we are united in diversity, when we discover our gifts, when we use them, when we allow others to serve us with their gifts, we become this beautiful spiritual symphony playing a beautiful song for the world, and it's a song that we get a lot of joy out of playing together. Amen? So I just want to tell you as, as, we, as we wrap up, some of you, you know your gifts and you're using them. And I hope these last couple of weeks about spiritual gifts have just been wind in your sails. And listen, especially if you're frustrated. Just because you're operating in your gifting doesn't mean it's easy, right? I hope that this can just motivate, man, keep fighting the good fight. Keep doing what you're doing. I promise you it's making a difference. And if you're encouraged, man, I hope this just, just encourages you all the more. But if you don't know your gifts, I'm not going to tell you to go, some, go to something if I don't think it's going to bless you. I really want you to encourage you. Go to the Discover class this weekend. Learn more about your personality. Learn more about your gifting. I promise you're going to come out of that more confident in how God has made you. And if you're like me and you're going, Saturday mornings, I got other stuff, I can't do it. Talk to me. Talk to Josh. Talk to Kira. Like We want to be able to have conversations with you to help you discover your gifts. We're, we're here for you because you're going to be blessed by it. And the body is going to be blessed by it as well. Amen? As we pray, I want to invite the prayer team forward. And again, they would love to serve you this morning with their gifts of prayer. So if you have anything you need prayer for, please come see them. But let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you gifted us. We thank you so much that when you call us together, you didn't call us to an institution. You called us to a body. And I thank you, God, that we all get to be a part of that body. I pray that we would be a church full of people who know and understand their gifts. I pray we would be a church full of people who use our gifts with joy. I pray we would be a church full of people who celebrate the gifts of one another, that we would truly be an example in so many ways of unity amidst diversity. And God, I pray that as we do that, that it would be really fun and joyful for us, because I think you've made us for, for joy. I pray that as we do that, it would be just a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that it would just be a sign to a polarized and divided world of the beautiful things that can happen when we're united, when we're together, when we're motivated by love, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So God, we thank you that you make all of that possible. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all the God's people said, amen. amen.